It is so good to be with you this morning. If I don't say it enough, it is such a privilege to serve God. It is such a privilege to break the bread of His Word with the family of God, to gather around His table, to eat the meal He's serving us, to be nourished in our souls, in our hearts, in our inner man, in our inner woman, be nourished in the presence of the Lord this morning. But it is a privilege to serve. And it is a privilege to be in this house with you this morning. So we're, we're, uh, we're in part three of Wisdom for Life, this series. And really, it's because everyone is looking for wisdom. And that the reason is, is that most of the choices we fake, <laughs> most of the choices we fake... That will preach, right? Most of the, the choices we fake, most of the choices we make don't play by the rules. Right? We can, we can know the right moral law. We can know the right ethics in business or relationships. Um, we can have a pretty good working grasp of those principles, and, except that's not the way choices come to us most of the time. They're, they're not just as cut and dry as they seem. And we might, uh, is morality involved? Sure. Are ethics involved in the choices and the circumstances of life? Absolutely. But knowing and having the ability to make right choices is not just a sum of the knowledge that you have. It's knowing and having the ability, it's knowing him, the one who is wisdom, and it's having the ability to cut through the noise, to distill out or to see what's really going on. It's having a knowledge of how things really are and how things really work. And those choices don't always play by the rules. In fact, most of them don't. And so we want to be people that grow in wisdom. And the question then is, is how, how do we, what is wisdom and, and how do we grow in it? And we've been looking at this passage uh, from, from, uh, from Scripture, kind of the theme of our overall series is from Psalm 1. And I encouraged everyone uh, this summer to memorize Psalm 1, especially the, uh, the first three verses. And so we're going to read it together uh, this morning and I'm going to... Hopefully do it from memory, right? Okay. So here's Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. This passage is packed, packed with three warnings, three rewards, and a critical instruction in the middle. The three warnings go something like this. You have to be careful who you listen to. Not all the counsel you receive, not all the advice you hear, not all the people you hang out with are giving you godly counsel. 
you need to be careful who you listen to because it affects the direction that you're headed. The second warning is, is that you have to watch which path you're on. You have to watch what, what path you're on. There is a path of sinners, and that's not to say that there's, there is a, a, uh, there's a, a, a bunch of, you know, a bunch of ungodly people all sitting and going one direction and you're standing in that path saying, no, no, don't go that way. It's that there are, life in the Bible seven to 800 times is described as a path. And Jesus said that, that great or many are the paths or the roads to destruction. And he wasn't just talking about the destination. He was talking, there are many ways to destroy your life. But there is narrow. Narrow is the path to eternal life. Now, that's not a capacity problem. It's not that, you know, only so many people can get into the kingdom of God or so many people can get into heaven. Very contrary to the fact, it's just that there's one way. And that's through Jesus Christ. And it's not, and that path is not just a, 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 about the destination, Jesus wants to change the path that you're on today. The path that you walk on, the path that you experience around you. Yes, there are many ways, many paths, many things, many ways to destroy your life. But there is one path that you can be on that brings life, not just someday, but today. Right? And there's an, also the warning is that we don't sit in the seat of the scornful. Basically, what, he's, what, what the, the author of this psalm is saying is that you have to be careful who you let your guard down around. That sitting in the seat of the scornful is like the picture of um, a group of friends reclining around a meal where you've let your guard down. Around people who mock the things of God. Because in that place, your heart will get hardened and confused. And you will become like what scripture says is chaff being blown around by the wind. Your heart will become hardened and confused. So we need to be careful about who we sit with, who we let our guard down around. It's not, the Bible's not saying not to be friendly and not to love people who are scornful, but we shouldn't allow that scorn to take root in our heart. And then the three rewards is like the picture of the tree, that it is a reward to be planted. It is a reward to be a planting of the Lord. The alternative, to be chaff that's blown around like the wind. And yes, the, being planted is not a description of the external circumstances in your life. Being planted is that your inner man or your inner woman is planted on something that can never be shaken, that can never be uprooted, that you are, you are planted in his word, you are in an incorruptible kingdom, and that you are so sure, you're so acquainted with the assurances that you have, not just for someday, but the assurances, the eternity that you experience today in your inner man and your inner woman, that it actually gives birth to security and stability in the life around you. Now, 
Life brings enough troubles and enough storms as it is, even without our making, that it is not as though the world will just be calm around you if you are, if you are planted. But at your, your planting will change your experience and your perspective of what's going on around you. And you, your inner man, your inner woman will not be blown around like dust or chaff in the wind that is going on. You will also, the reward is that you will be fruitful. You will be fruitful. It says, and it brings forth its fruit in its season. The, 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 the connotation is there that you will be fruitful in every season. There is no season of life, there's no circumstance, there's no place you can find yourself where you are not able or connected to the source that will allow you to bear the fruit of God's kingdom and his promises and the fruit of the Holy Spirit, not only for your own well-being, but for the well-being of all those that are around you. Fruitfulness is not dependent on what state you live in. Fruitfulness has to do with the vineyard you were planted in. And also, whose leaf also shall not wither. The picture there is, is that you, a reward, you are drought resistant. You are drought resistant. Because you are planted and rooted in a source whose waters will never fail. Even if the land is sandy and dusty... You are planted in something so deep, the, the heat of the sun can't touch it. There is no drought that can dry up the spring of the Lord. Three, three warnings, three rewards. The critical instruction in the middle, and as in his law, he meditates day and night. His delight, or her delight, is in the law of the Lord. Right, so we're looking at wisdom, or life, Life, wisdom as a path. Last week we looked at counsel and we expanded and we spent some time on that first warning and on that the second warning in there um, where uh, it says, nor uh, blessed is the man who does not, who stands not in the path of sinners. And we looked at, we we're looking at, at uh, life or as wisdom as a path. And yes, we did talk about seven to eight hundred times in the Bible, life is described as walking a path. Well, why? Why is it walking like walking a path? What, can you get cars onto a path? Can you get vehicles or things on a path? What do you do on a path? You walk. The idea, the picture of life on a path is of slow and steady Right? It's the steady left, right, left, right of small things, your basic disciplines that take you somewhere, that determine who you become along the way. That God's workmanship in you is perfected on the path. Like Proverbs 3, chapter 6 says, in all your ways or in all, in, in all your dealings and all your doings and every area of your life, if you acknowledge him, he will direct your path. Right? He's not directing you um, through cartwheels and somersaults. He's not directing you on a shortcut. He's not directing you to get into a car. He's not directing you to take a sprint. He's directing you on the path. And on the left and the right, we grow wise as we walk the path 
with God. Wisdom is a path and not a door. Now, there are many things about the kingdom that are a door. Jesus said, he said, I am the door and all who enter into me, right? I am going to give you all the sheep of the, this world. I'm gonna in, you are going to come in through me as the door and you're going to enjoy the benefits of being in my pasture. Right? There is, there is a crossing over, a translation from darkness to light. There is a translating from the, from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of the heavens. There is a door that you, are, you, you go through. But life, as a sheep of his pasture, is a path. Wisdom is a path. Right? The door picture is transactional. It can also be... It's, it's, and when we look at wisdom... As a door instead of a path, we fall into this trap that wisdom is like a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. That there's like some secret technique or some secret formula or some secret set of principles that will unlock the blessed life. Right? But wisdom is not a door. It's a path. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite theologians, said in a book, Abolition of Man, he said, for the saints of old or for the our church mothers and fathers, for the, uh, for the wise people through the ages, the cardinal problem or their, 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 chief, their chief aim and what they spent their energy searching out had been how to conform the soul to reality. And the solution had been wisdom. But for magic and today's science alike, the problem is how to change reality to the wishes of my soul, and the solution is a technique. Now, see, the path and the, the door approaches to life or to wisdom. One, the problem is conforming my soul or my heart to the reality of God's word, right? I'm the one who's changeable. My heart is changeable. My soul is changeable to the unchanging nature or the reality of God's word. And the solution is to become wise, taking the left, right, and walking with the Lord in those daily and basic disciplines of clinging to him and being devoted to him. And the other side, the problem is changing reality to fit the desires of my soul. And the solution is a technique. And you can see that the world believes that wisdom is a door. Because you look at most bookstores, conferences, seminars, everything. They're all offering all kinds of titles that promise three steps to overcoming fear, six steps to a more fulfilling marriage, five steps to conquering stress, four steps to winning at real estate, business, or parenting. Right? And it's not that there isn't there aren't good principles in those things. I am not saying that. What I am saying is that you could get all of the principles and be a fool. And let me illustrate that to you. So would you rather buy a house from me if I had $100,000 of the best tools that money could buy and I had watched the library of the best DIY videos on YouTube about how to build a house, but I had no training. Now, that, that building might look good. Or would you rather buy the house that I built with one 16-ounce hammer, one miter box saw, one shovel, one hand planer, and maybe a tape measure, and maybe one hand drill that I got for 80 bucks at an estate sale, 
but with two years of training walking beside Cardi Holland, who is a master builder and master craftsman. Which house would you rather live in? Now that one might look nicer, but this one is built on something stronger. Now see, that one had all of the techniques and all the tools and all of the amazing, you know, the best DIY stuff, but I'm telling you, all the techniques in the world won't make you wise. But walking with somebody who is wise will. Think about life as a disciple in the times of Jesus. Did they have notebooks? Did they have YouTube? Did they have do-it-yourself videos? Did they have ways of accumulating techniques and principles? No. Jesus wanted to concretely change their path by asking people to follow him, to walk with him. And in those moments, as they see what wisdom is, who wisdom is, it changes the way they walk, the direction they're heading in slow and amazing daily practices and daily ways, they went straight from knowing wisdom to walking in it, not filling my head with all of the techniques and doing nothing with them. Big difference. This is foolishness. This is wisdom. You don't need all the education in the world to be wise. You don't need all the best tools to be wise. You don't need to have attended all the latest conferences to be wise. You don't need to have mastered and memorized all the principles to be wise. You need to spend time walking daily with wisdom. His name is Jesus. And what does that path look like? What is the process? If, if wisdom is a path, what is the process that he invites us to each day? What is that meditation on God's word? What does it look like? What does that even mean? Well, Proverbs chapter 2 gives a, um, an, a, uh, an expanded kind of uh, look at what meditation, what does it need to meditate on God's word? And so here, here is the process of that day-to-day meditating or walking with the Lord. My son, if you receive my words, not if you argue with them before you understand what they mean, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, yes, if you cry out for discernment, And lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the paths of justice and preserves the way of his saints. And then you will understand righteousness and justice Equity and every good, every good, every good path through meditation on God's word, right? If you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, if you receive my words, not if you've been to the latest conference, 
We all have access. We don't even need to know all and everything. We can take anything that he's said that we know that's been passed on, that we get from scripture. If we receive his word and treasure his commands within us, not argue with them, if we receive them, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. You will, and what, what does that mean? Understanding the fear of the Lord, that really means to know yourself. To understand the fear of the Lord is not to walk around shaking with fear at an angry God. It's to understand yourself, the, the position of humility and reverence you must and rightfully should take before the God of the universe and the Savior of your soul. It is to know your true motives. It's, it's to look at your faults clearly but without getting depressed because you know there's no condemnation in Christ. It's to look at your gifts and your strengths and know them clearly, but not being prideful in them because you know he is the one that is the giver of all good things and that every gift is truly from him and is made by him and is for the blessing, not only for your well-being, but to bless others. You can look at your faults clearly and not be depressed. You can look at your gifts, your strengths clearly and not be prideful. You can know your true motives and rightfully take the position of humility and reverence before him. You understand the fear of the Lord. And you will find the knowledge of God. Do you know how amazing that is? You will know God. You will know who he is and what he's really like. That doesn't come from listening to every voice that comes on your path. It goes from being attentive to his word. And what else? You will understand the righteousness and justice, equity, and every good path. Meditating on God's word, you will know yourself, the fear of the Lord. You will know God, the knowledge of God, and you will know every good path, what is right, what is just, what is equitable in your family, in career, in culture, in trouble. You will be equipped with the ability to make right choices when the choices don't play by the rules, when the choices don't present as an easy A or B you will be equipped because you have walked step by step with the master craftsman, with wisdom himself. Let me show you what that looks like in my life. So I was, uh, been meditating this, this year in John 10. In John 10, 10, part of that verse says, I have come that they may have life and that they, have, and that they may have it more abundantly. And it's a popular scripture in, in, our, in our camp, in the general kind of the charismatic wing of the church, in, in faith churches, and this is a very popular scripture. Well, I was talking with a good friend of mine, and uh, he was, you probably, some of you may have met him, um, uh, he was the founding principal of the school uh, next door, Christ Classical School, and we were talking about creating 
Um, what, does it, what does it look like to really lean into Christian culture and Christian community, to, to build and to forge those deep Christ-centered friendships um, that we are sustained by, that, uh, really, that really mean something beyond just me, myself, and I. And he was saying, you know, Jeff, the, the, the first time we really experienced that as a family, it didn't come, we weren't looking for it, and it came in a really unusual way. We had planted another school, and uh, we were doing these, uh, these, these family nights twice a month for all of the parents and all the families at the school. And at first, lots of people were willing to help out, to set up, to tear down. And then the number of those families that were willing to help out slowly became less and less and less until it was just five families. And we, it took us until one or two o'clock in the morning on those Friday nights to clean up all of the family nights. And whether it was the football game or the drama or the family kickball game or whatever they were doing. And he said, you know, we would tell ourselves, we'd say, you know, this is our opportunity. We're dying to ourself so that others might live and might live abundantly. And something went off in me in that moment because I had only looked at John 10.10 as a standard of living to defend by spiritual warfare instead of a model to follow. Now, what does this say? I have come in this chapter... I have come, what is he saying? I have come to die to myself that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. The, his, his way of dying to himself wasn't a once thing that he did at the end. He walked the path of dying to himself to bring life to his friends and to the world. Now it is he did that for us. And I'm not saying that we don't, are not promised abundant life. It is something that we are promised that he has done for us. We also, but it is not only a standard of living that we defend with spiritual warfare. It is a model that we follow because Ephesians chapter five says what? Be imitators of God. Live a life totally devoted to sacrificial love and follow the example that Christ gave you by coming to die to himself for you. And right in that same chapter, the very next verse, which we don't quote often, is I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Now, in my meditation on that, I've been meditating. And the way I meditate on that is I tell myself, you know, I have an opportunity to die to myself so that others may live. When I am in a hurry to get to be first in line to get into the baseball game so I can get the best seat on the grass at the blues game, right? I'm walking forward and I actually remind myself, no, I'm, we are here. I am dying to myself so that others might live. It's affecting the conversations when I'm feeling like I want to complain because there's not enough volunteers or there's not enough people doing this or there's no, people aren't committed enough to the vision. All those things, no, no. I am following the model of Christ. I have come. I get to come. I get to participate and I get to come and die to myself so that others may live and have life to the full. Even with my own children, I, I really, I do like Dodgers baseball and I bought the smallest little Bluetooth earbud that I could put in and I could keep the game on even when we're walking around and doing other things as a family, right, between 
Oftentimes they play in the evening. It's between dinner and bedtime. And except I noticed the Holy Spirit convicted me, and I noticed that when the Dodgers are losing, which they don't do very much this year, um, that's a good thing. Um, but when the Dodgers are losing or when it's a close game, I have less patience with my kids. Right? So what do I have an opportunity to do? I die to myself so that others may live and have life abundantly. And you know what I found in the, the hundreds, probably thousands of times I've quoted that scripture to myself this year in all of the little teeny ways, day in and day out, all of the little left rights of dying to myself so that others might live. What kind of abundant life have I walked in? It is far more blessed to give than to receive. Far more. And that's just meditating on one scripture, one passage. There are, how much of God has he shown us of himself in this book, in this word? And so when we look at the, this path of wisdom or the, the process of becoming wise and the daily left right of the little things of walking with him and even the pictures of the promises painted in scripture, how many of you have ever felt discouraged when you compare the promises of scripture and then you do a 360 in your own life and you're like, have you ever felt discouraged? I have felt discouraged. Well, have you ever said to yourself, and I, I'm okay if you're afraid to admit it, have you ever told yourself something that sounded like, I will never get there? I would say, even if I haven't told myself in those words, I have felt those words. I have felt those words even if I didn't say them. But you know what the dangerous thing about feeling or saying, I will never get there, is we leave off the silent, so why should I start? Why should I, why should I start? Why should I give my all? Why should I lean in? Why should I be diligent if I'll never get there? And that goes back to the idea that life, that wisdom is not a door. The blessed life is not a magic technique. It's not a door that you walk into and poof. It is a path of left, right. I die to myself so that others may live in the line. I die to myself so that others may live with the Bluetooth. I die to myself so that others may live with in, be, being in line or, or letting somebody have the last cookie or the last hot dog or opening the door and standing for people, what, whatever. I'm dying to myself so that others may live or staying really late to clean up after an event that I don't want to. I'm dying to myself so that others may live. All of those little left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right. Day and night, you meditate on the word of God. Day and night, left, right, left, right. You treasure his commands in you. You treasure them. You receive his words. You are becoming wise beyond imagination because you are getting to grow closer to the one who is wisdom and modeled all that wisdom is in one life. And I want to encourage you today 
Because in that process, we have not been, not been left to fend for ourselves. Wisdom also has grace. Listen to these encouraging words from the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians and to the Romans. I'm going to read them kind of back to back. It says, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. And now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Paul encourages the Romans. He said, likewise, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, also helps in our weaknesses when our life does not look like the promise yet. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray all the time. For as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be understood or uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints. That's you and me according to the will of God. That's why we give voice to the Holy Spirit. That's why we pray in the Holy Spirit. It's because we aren't, wisdom is not a door that we just walked into and now we're wise. We're on a path of becoming more wise and there is much left that we don't know yet. So we have the Holy Spirit to guide us, to keep us on the path, to give us insight beyond what our level of wisdom is, and to pray for us and intercede for us so that we stay on the path of life, the narrow path. There were Corinthian and Roman believers who felt weak, unwise, uneducated, and discouraged facing the daunting task of living a life on the narrow path of wisdom in an unfriendly culture. Paul's answer was, we have the Holy Spirit. Listen, obey. Even when you have no idea what to do or how to pray, the Spirit will intercede in us and through us according to God's will. We have the Spirit so that we might know. We have intimate understanding. We would know the things that have been freely given to us by God. This is wisdom. True wisdom is to know Jesus. He is the true wisdom given to us by God. So wisdom is knowing God, and, it's, and wisdom, growing in wisdom is a path, yes. There is a process we undergo to become more wise through meditating on his word day and night and letting his word change us and change our steps, the left, right of what we're doing. Wisdom is also a gift or a grace for wherever we are today. There is a temptation here. When we talk about the gift or the grace of listening to the Holy Spirit, 
that we can settle for untrained obedience. Let's say there is a temptation here to settle for untrained obedience. What do I mean by that? Well, if we have the the temptation goes something like this. Well, if all I have to do is listen to the Spirit, then why do I have to study His Word? Why do I have to meditate on God's Word? Why do I have to know His promises? If all I have to do is hear what the Spirit is saying, He says, turn left, I turn left. He says, turn right, I turn right. He says, two plus two equals four, it equals four. I just answer it. There is an untrained obedience that we settle for. Now, do we need to have an obedient heart? Yes, but he doesn't want to leave us untrained. He doesn't want to leave us untrained. Let me illustrate this. So back um, when we first moved to the country, this is just eight miles west of Templeton. It's not super country. Um, But uh, I was taking my son uh, over to a friend's house who lived on Willow Road. And if you live in the country, there are livestock that like to come out onto the roads. And because there's not fencing everywhere. So we're driving on, on uh, Willow Road, and I'm driving at a city speed, um, a highway speed, and the ground is slick. And all of a sudden, we're about to go around this, this corner that's kind of hugged by trees. And I just, I feel just a whisper of the Holy Spirit that says, slow down. And I slowed down, and we come right around the corner, and there's a big old cow right in the, in the road. And I was, we were able to slam on the brakes and not hit the cow. Now that is untrained obedience. Now had I not listened, I don't know, I might not even be standing here. I, whatever it was, it would have been, we would have had a lot of tri-tip. How's that? But God doesn't want to leave us in untrained obedience. He wants to show us the math behind it. He wants to help us understand what what water on the roads we're on affects the friction between the tires and the roads. He wants us to understand what seasons of the year cows are going to be on the road, or more likely, what times of day. He wants to teach us those things. Why? He made them. When he gets to reveal and train us in the design and the beauty of his creation, we know the creator. We become wise as we learn and we know. That's we, we become wise when we learn and we know ab- about him. And it's the same thing with the deeper things of God. Maybe today, wisdom might just be saying yes to starting a daily devotion with your spouse or your children. But God doesn't want to leave you where you are today. He wants to show you how to tend the garden of a soul by watering of the word. He wants to show you how to become one. He wants to show you how to develop a multi-generational vision for your family. He wants to show you the beauty and the design of the kingdom. So you know him more closely, more deeply as the king. Wisdom is not the ever insatiable appetite for techniques and principles. It is walking with the one who is wisdom and training and learning and allowing the day-by-day left, 
right of our steps on our path to reflect in obedience to him. Not so that we can stay untrained, but so that we can grow in the knowledge of his kingdom and in the deep things of God. We have the Holy Spirit so that we can know the things that God has freely given to us. So if you want to grow in wisdom, what what is God whispering to your heart today? What is the step that you are being asked to take today? Is it to really commit to staying and reading God's word every day? Is it to starting a devotion by yourself or with your spouse or with your kids, even if you've never led or done devotions before with other people other than allowing somebody to read them to you on a podcast? Is it, is it, what is that step for you? Today, that step might be a tentative step, a step that might feel like untrained obedience. But all, all of God's ability to work in your life, like my friend Eugene Show says, God's ability to work on, in your life is not dependent on your abilities. It's dependent on your willingness to walk with him. So will you walk with him and not look for a shortcut, not look for a technique, a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, a door that can magically transfer you to wisdom. The kingdom you were transferred into, wisdom you grow in. Will you walk the left, right, left, right, day and night, meditation, and growing in intimacy with wisdom himself. Let's stand. We're going to pray. Maybe you've been hearing about wisdom and you really, in your heart, you feel like chaff being blown around by the wind. You're totally unplanted. And you really need to come in through the door into his pasture. This path of wisdom seems foreign. You really just need to be saved and rescued. I want to say that the good shepherd is wise, he's not a harsh master, he's not a wolf in sheep's clothing. He's not one that's going to set you on just a life of hard discipline and correction all the time. He is a good shepherd. He leads you day by day into good pastures. If you need to receive and walk through that door, Jesus Christ, into the pasture of his good pleasure and the kingdom of light and the kingdom of God, if that's you this morning, I would invite you to raise your hand. I am inviting you to raise your hand. I just want to pray with you. 
pray with you. If you know you needed to raise your hand and you didn't, I'll be here. The prayer team will be here. If you know that you've been searching for wisdom and treated it like a door, a technique, or a pot of gold, or a shortcut, and you need to recommit yourself to the long and slow and beautiful and diligent work of walking left, right, day and night with the Lord, I am inviting you, come forward and do your business with God, not with me. Come forward. Come forward and pray. Come forward and surrender. Come forward and commit to the Lord. God, we worship you. We bless your name. We bless your name, God. We worship you, Lord. Your goodness is amazing. Your wisdom uncertain.